Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Amen. All right. Y'all can have a seat. Well, hi. My name is Robert Newberry, and I'm lucky enough to be one of the people on staff here with Renovate. And I'm so excited to get to talk to you guys tonight. A little bit about me. I grew up in Austin, Texas, uh, before seeing the light and making my way up to Fort Worth to go to TCU. So go Frogs. Um, And yeah, I was there during kind of the glory days of TCU football, and hopefully Sunny Dykes can bring those back a little bit, uh, hopefully gets to the playoff or something soon. We'd love that. Um, but I get to work here now, and it's such a privilege to get to talk to you guys tonight, and I'm so excited, like Ben said, to dive into this topic. Um, and so we're just going to jump right into it. So if you would do me a favor and open your Bibles up with me um, to John 13, and specifically verse 35, and that's where we're going to get started tonight. And it says this. John 13, 35 says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples at the time, giving them the explanation of what their relationships with each other should look like. It should be this overflow of love. It should be so defining in their life that people know that they follow Jesus because of the way that they love one another. And that's hopefully what we're pursuing here today. Like, that's hopefully, if this is your first time checking it out, man, I hope you walked in these doors and experienced that. I hope you saw people getting excited to worship with each other, to come back to this community, to be in this place together. But if I'm honest, it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't always feel like the safe place. It doesn't feel like, man, we are so set apart because of the way that we love one another. Oftentimes, it feels awkward and hard, and sometimes it even just feels painful. Sometimes it feels like this place that should exist as the one place where we experience the most love, the most unconditional love, the warmest welcome, the clearest affirmation that this is the right place to be, is often the place where we feel least safe. It's a place where at times we can feel just so hurt and just marked as left out of this community for some reason. And it's a struggle, so what do we do with that? Luckily, our God knew that this would exist. Our God knew that this would happen, and he gives us a way to work through this. He gives us a way to handle this hurt, to process through it, and there's a solution to it. But before we get into that solution, we've got to do something. Uh, We've got to be able to answer this question, what is the source of our hurt? Because I think that's going to dictate what the answer or what the solution is going to be given on each independent situation. Because there are some situations that are going to require a little bit more work, a little bit different work, and it's going to help flesh out where our hurt comes from if we can answer this question and then properly process given where it comes from. So I'm going to divide it up into four categories for us tonight. Four categories for the sources of our hurt. It's not exhaustive. By no means are these the only ways that hurt happens in our community because we're people and we have so many different ways we relate to each other and get things wrong. But I feel like these are the main four ways that we experience time and time again here in the church. So, starting off with the four, the first one is miscommunication. Miscommunication, when two people come together with the best of intentions and someone leaves hurt. 
Uh, so a little bit about me. I got married about a year and a half ago. Um, yeah, she's over there. She's awesome. She is way smarter than me, and I'm lucky uh, that she said yes, and I tricked her into marrying me. Um, but one of the things that comes along with marriage is you start living with each other. And I know, shocker, right? But uh, what that also means is your habits of how you do life clash with each other. And my wife and I do not or did not go about living life the same way before we got together, uh, specifically in a couple areas, uh, but one is cleanliness and things around the house. You can probably guess who was more uh, on top of that in our situation, uh, and it wasn't me. And so we went through this process of trying to adapt, and she was trying to understand where I was coming from, just like being a slob. And then she was trying to explain to me, hey, this is what it's like when your clothes are clean and they don't smell like mildew. And you have dishes that you can eat off of, and you don't have to use a screwdriver to eat your ravioli. True story. That happened in college. Um, But yeah, it was rough, guys. Um, But so we would process through this, and we would start like going and figuring it out. And she would like just very clearly tell me like, hey, I get it. I understand. Um, But if you would just do, like, keep an eye on the dishes and keep an eye on the laundry, that would really help me feel loved. And I was like, got it, great. Unfortunately, that wasn't always how it worked out. And I would drop the ball, and she would come in, and she would be patient and, like, tell me about it. So one day, I got the idea in my head to be like, all right, I'm going to come to her. I'm just going to admit that, like, I don't think the same way, and I'm going to, like, ask her to help me get on the same page. So in my mind, I was coming to her asking to say, like, hey, would you help me see what needs to get done the way you see it, so I know kind of what trips your radar. I know where that like, line is. You know, if it's like two dishes in the sink or if it's like 15, like what is it where I need to drop everything and then start helping out, right? So that was in my mind. That was what I was thinking about in my mind. Uh, here's how it came out. I was like, hey, babe, uh, I, like, I know that you want me to do the dishes and the laundry and like, be aware of that. I think I've got a pretty good handle on like walking the dog, you know, like paying our bills, trying to take care of this stuff. Would you just help me out? Like, would you help me with the dishes and laundry? And what, yeah, yeah, not great. I heard a few laughs. Uh, Yeah, because what she heard in that moment was something drastically different than what I was trying to communicate. What she heard was me saying, I do all of these things. Would you just go do the dishes and laundry, the two things you told me that you, I would really love you well by doing? She heard me pawn it off on her. So not great, right? So we quickly entered into what we call in our household passionate discussions. Um, and so we started talking about it and processing through it and trying to get back on the same page. But we just couldn't do it because I was trying to communicate to her like, hey, help me see how you see. Like, help me figure out what I need to do, and she was hearing me say, you just do it. And so neither of us were backing down because we were trying to like get in the same way, but we were just missing. And we put it down a couple times, and it took like at least a day and a half of like putting it down, coming back together before my wife asked this question, because I told you she was smarter than me, so she's the one who asked the question, hey, are you meaning to say that like you're telling me to do the dishes? Are you meaning for me to help you understand when to do the dishes. And I was like, oh my gosh, that one. Like, I'm so sorry if you've heard over here. This one so much, I'm the worst, I apologize. And like, it was, the tension was gone like that. Like, it cut it. But like, that pain for that day and a half was so real because we both felt so unloved. 
Like it felt in that moment, like I was telling her, like, I know you said that, but you just go do them because I'm not that way. Like, I'm just not going to think that way. So you just go do them. And it felt like to me that I was asking for help. And she was saying, you got to figure it out. It's on you. And I'm going to get mad at you if you don't. And so we were just missing each other. And so that pain of that miscommunication was so real in that moment, but it just took a clarifying question, pulling ourselves out of the situation a little bit, and then trying to come back and communicate in a different way to get back on the same page. And in a similar way, I think that pain exists here in the church. I think that pain exists when people walk in these doors and they want community and they want something and they meet someone who maybe just says the wrong thing or makes a joke that they wish they could take back or something else happens and it just doesn't click. But we leave feeling so unloved or unwelcomed when maybe all we need to do is have a conversation on the back end and be like, hey, did you realize that you said this? Or is this what you meant to say? And then give someone the opportunity to process and maybe clarify what they were saying in that moment so you can figure out if that was a miscommunication or if it was something else. Um, and so that's our first category. And that pain is still real. Because like on the back end of that argument for Sarah and I, like we both cried at the end of that because that was tough. Uh, but it matters how you have to fix it. And so for miscommunication, if you're able to ask that question and clarify it, then I think it clears up a lot of that misconception and allows you to move forward healing and without that hurt. So that's our first category. The second one is a misconception of what love is. And I'm going to use an illustration that might hit home for a few people, might feel a little bit heavy. Um, But say that you were going to an oncologist, right? Like say you were going because your primary care, your doctor sent you to an oncologist because you're like, hey, you got this lump or you got these symptoms. Let's just get you checked out for cancer. Let's make sure that you're okay. Let's make sure that nothing's going on here. And let's get you checked out. And so you go, you go and you get the biopsy, you get the MRI, whatever it is. And then you go into the doctor's office, you get that chart and the oncologist sits down with you, reads your chart and sees that you have cancer, right? Like sees it on the page. And I was like, oh, yep, this is what this is. And then he looks at you in the eyes and says, you're all good looks at you in the eyes and says like, ah, man, like I know you got those symptoms. I know you got that headache. Maybe just take an Advil. Like maybe just, you know, whenever you have a headache, just take an Advil, figure it out. And then you should be, you should be all good. Like how horrible of a doctor would that be? How unloving of that doctor would it be to know that you have this thing that's eventually going to take your life and not tell you that you have that problem, right? Like that would totally inhibit you from getting the right treatment you need, from taking the right steps so that you can be cured. And in the same way, we all experience this in a spiritual way. We serve a God. We come here, we believe in this church that we have a God who calls us to righteousness. Like Ben said, we are all broken people, but we love and serve a God who says, hey, I don't want to leave you there. And so he outlined for us what it looks like to live a righteous life. And part of the process of going from that brokenness, from that death to life, is saying, hey, I don't think what you're doing is pursuing that life. And sometimes it can feel hard. Like, I have been across many of people. Remember, like I said, college, I was a slob. Ben was actually the one who took me to Torchies when I was 22 years old. And was like, dude, your roommates say you're sleeping on a pile of your clothes. What the heck? Like, figure it out, dude. And it was really uncomfortable at my time because I like, looked up to him a ton and I was like, how do you know that? Like, this is uncomfortable. I really hate this right now. But in that moment, 
I felt so loved because I knew someone was willing to call me out on things that were robbing me of life. And I felt cared for because I knew that eventually Ben cared for my long-term good. He cared enough to tell me what the problem was. And I think as the church, whenever we talk to people about sin, whenever we talk to people and call them out on what's going on in their life, one, you should always do it humbly. But you should seek to do it in a way where you are caring for the long-term good. You should seek to do it like a good doctor, wanting them to know the cure, wanting them to find the cure. And when we're on the receiving end of that, we should fight to understand that that's what people are trying to do. We should fight to try and understand that when someone's calling us out, one, it's uncomfortable for them to do it because no one loves doing it. If you do, let's chat afterwards, but like no one loves it, that's uncomfy. Um, And so you should fight to understand, one, to do it humbly, but then to understand someone is trying to care for you in your long-term good. They're trying to love you enough to tell you what the problem is and try and push you towards that. And so that's our second category, uh, a misconception of what love is. And then the third one is wrong expectations on the church. And what I mean by this is with really good intentions, we want to make this place or this people that we come into these doors for our hope, our satisfaction, our joy, our peace, because we look to each other as the way to satisfy us. And man, I love you guys. We as people make really lousy saviors. We as a program, Renovate, make really lousy saviors. There's no one in this room who's going to be able to make you satisfied and content in your life. We are a reflection of that. We are pointing you to the one who will, and that one is Jesus. But oftentimes we, because we see people as tangible, we know our friends, we know our family, we know our community, we want to make them the ones who give us hope, who give us peace, who we look to for our affirmation, our hope, and our satisfaction. And what we're doing is replacing people with where our God should be. And so we can hurt ourselves, we can set ourselves up for failure by hoping in our friends to meet our need for satisfaction, our need for peace, our need for hope. And what we're doing is robbing ourselves of being able to have that relationship with Jesus because that's the only one who's going to be able to give us that truth, that hope, that joy, that peace. And so we're putting ourselves in, our, in a position where we're going to fail because we have wrong expectations on people who are never going to be able to do it. And so those three categories, kind of miscommunication, uh, misconception of what love is, and then uh, wrong expectations on the church are all like perspective shifts or clarifying conversations or something that we're just putting in the wrong place, but it's a mistake, right? And so we've got those three, but then this fourth one is one that there is really no excuse for, and that's someone else's sin. When you've been hurt by someone else's sin, right? Like there is no excuse. If someone hurt you, someone made a judgment about you, someone like was harsh with you, someone, you know, really just made you feel alone. They were selfish. They were mean. They were cruel to you. Man, I'm sorry. First and foremost, like, please hear me say, like, I am sorry. And if that happened in the church, if that happened when you came to an event like Renovate, man, I'm so sorry. One, thank you for coming back. Like, thank you for giving Jesus another chance. Uh, I believe that the Lord wants to do something with you tonight. But when we get hurt by someone, else, someone else's sin, there is no explaining it away. Right? Like, there is no, like, oh, they were just having a bad day. Or, oh, man, like, they just had a really, like, long day at work. Or I caught them at a bad moment. Like, no. Our circumstances never justify our sin. And so when someone hurts you, when someone 
like causes you harm because of their selfishness, their cruelty, their pride, their envy. Like that feels wrong. That feels broken. You feel that brokenness and there's nothing you can really do with it in the moment. Like we're powerless to atone for it, fix it, because it cost us. And so we can't like get that time back. We can't get that energy back. So what do we do with it now? Like how do we heal from it? What does it look like when we understand that someone's hurt us when we understand that there's been a wrong done, like, how do we process through that? And I'm thankful because our God knew that this was going to happen, right? Like, he knew that even in the church, even though, like, I wish this was the place where we never had to experience sin, like, I wish everyone could walk in these doors and never feel someone be selfish or prideful or angry again. Man, I want that. I wish I could be that. But we fall short. And so our God knew that we would fall short. He knew that we would need this process of reconciliation. And so he gave us three paths to reconciliation. And so he gives us these ways to help us understand what it looks like to grow, how we move on, how we heal in a way where it's not just minimizing it, sweeping it under the rug, letting it go. And so the first path to reconciliation is if you hurt someone, As I've been talking about these, if you have had that recognition in your head of like, oh man, like I have been this person to someone. One, you're not alone. Everyone in this room has had that moment. But if you recognize that that's been you and you realize that you haven't done anything about it, what do you do? Luckily, Jesus addresses this. And so we're going to look in Matthew 5, 23 through 24 real quick to understand what he's calling us to. And so it says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And what Jesus is talking about right here when he talks about the altar and gift and sacrifice is what they would do in his day is they would take their gifts, their fattened calf, their best offering up to the Lord and say, Lord, this is how much I love you. That I'm willing to give you like the first of my crop. I'm willing to give you the first of my cattle, the best one that would make me the most money. I'm offering it up to you. Because I love you, because I want you. Because I am worshiping you, you are God, and I value you in my life. And what Jesus is saying here is saying, man, if you really value me, go make right with your brother first. Go apologize to your brother first. Go apologize, go own up to your sin, be willing to be accountable because that's going to speak more to me. That's going to speak more to me because if you are the stumbling block between your brother and their being able to come here and feel safe in worship and rejoice and have joy before the Lord, then you're robbing them. Like you are shortcutting their process. And so go and offer it to them. And I know in this moment, like I know that feeling that we get when we realize that we're the ones who messed messed up, like that uncomfortable pit in your stomach of realizing when you have to apologize. Guys, I get it. Like that moment when you remember the situation that you did and you're like, why did I tell that joke? Like, why did I do it? It's the worst. And I get that pain. I get that awkwardness and I get that uncomfortable feeling of like, man, you don't even want to bring it up because what if they already forgot? But I think what Jesus is calling us to here is choosing their ability to process, choosing their ability to forgive and heal from that hurt over our comfort, right? Like he's calling us to not value our comfort over their ability to heal. 
and their ability to process. So regardless of how awkward it is, regardless of how uncomfortable it is, what our God is doing right here is calling us to say, hey, I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's tough. But go and offer up your, ask for forgiveness before that person. Ask them to forgive you because they may not be able to move on in the same way. Like if we have that awkward feeling and we're like, oh man, I'm just going to go about my day. Man, that is a luxury that that other person may not have. They may not have the opportunity to let go in the same way that we do because there's still a pain there. There's still a hurt there for them. And so if you're the one who has wronged them, if you realize that you're the one who has caused someone else to stumble or sinned against them, if you've hurt them, then man, like go before them and give them that opportunity to heal and forgive because we know we're all in that boat just in different circumstances. And in the same way that you would want them you would want someone who has hurt you to ask for forgiveness. Go and be that person and ask for forgiveness from another person. So that's our first category. If you have hurt someone, if you've sinned against them, these next two are dealing with someone else's sin. And before I get into them, I want to talk a little bit, because I've thrown out this word reconciliation, and I want to clarify it, define it a little bit for us, and tell you what it is and what it isn't. First off, reconciliation is not revenge or retribution. Reconciliation is not revenge or retribution. If your goal, if you've been hurt, right? Like if you're not the person who's hurt someone, like we all are, we're all in both camps. We've been hurt and we have hurt people. But if you're in the camp of I've been hurt now and you are taking it to someone else, your goal there can never be revenge or retribution because it will just leave you unsatisfied. Giving someone else a pain or making them feel the pain that they caused you is never going to take away the pain that you already experienced. Like, you can never get that time back. There is no way that they're going to be able to pay up for it. It's not like a monetary value. It's not something like your grief, your stress, your pain. There's not a check that covers it. And so, simply put, reconciliation is instead seeking to return the offender to right standing with their community. Right? Reconciliation is seeking to return the, the offender to right standing with their community. And what I mean by that is if you have two ideas that are at, at odds and you try and reconcile them, basically what you're trying to do is bring them back into harmony. You're trying to say like, okay, if this is at odds and this is at odds, like what is the, what, what is the bridge? What is the way where they can come back together, they can coexist? And in the same way with two people, reconciling is bringing them back on the same page where they can coexist in the same room. And what's important about that in this room and in other rooms where you're coming to be a family is, man, hopefully there's a way where when we hurt each other, because we all know that we cause that pain, we all know that we are eventually going to be the one who sins against someone else. We need to be able to come back to the same table. We need to be able to come back to this room to be able to come back together and be a family again. So when we reconcile, we need to seek to restore them to right standing. But how do we do that? So we've got the category of if you hurt someone. So now the second category is when you see someone hurting someone else, right? Like when you're a part of a community, when you see something, or even when you hear something secondhand, when you hear about someone's sin, when you hear about someone hurting someone else, whether it's that guy that was like way too uncomfortable on the date, or whether it's your friend who said those really mean things, or you caught two friends yelling at each other, what do you do about it? And I think our God gives us a guideline in Matthew 18 for what that looks like. Um, so if you'd open your Bibles with me again, we're going to Matthew 18, 15 through 17. 
And it says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile. What this is saying, what this is calling us to do is when you see someone sin, investigate and then don't let it go. Don't let it go. Because oftentimes what we do is we either hear about, you know, that awkward moment at the party or that guy who's creepy on the date and we're like, oh, hopefully someone else deals with that. Like, hopefully someone else handles that. And so we just let it go by. But what Jesus is calling us here to do is to say, no, like, go dig in, investigate. And you don't even have to come with an already thought out answer and like an accusation to him. You can just go ask the question of, hey, dude, I heard this was going on. Like, what's the deal? Like, I love you as a brother. Can you tell me what was going on here? You don't even have to be accusatory. You can give them the benefit of the doubt. You can just say like, hey, I heard this. It doesn't sound like you. So like, what, what's your side? Like, what's going on here? But actually go investigate and ask the question. Because if you don't, then there's no guarantee that that person's going to understand what they're doing. And so the only way to be sure that what you can do to help someone grow, to help someone give the chance to change and grow, is to go get involved. And that's hard because our tendency is to want to stay in that comfort zone, stay where, you know, we don't want to give it up. And then, especially what we're called to do here, is not give in. Like, say that first conversation doesn't go great. Say, like, dude, don't worry about it. Like, none of your business. Don't deal with it. Normally, if I was in that situation, I'd just be like, all right, I'm done. I'm good, bro. Like, you're good. Go for it. Whatever. But what we're called to do here is say, like, no, go get your friends and go and continue to bring it back to them. Don't let them go. Like, don't rest until there's an answer to this issue. Like, go grab two or three other friends who heard the same thing and agree with you and then go take it to them. And then, even if they don't go, man, bring it to the church. Bring it to us. Because we are your biggest advocate in helping someone grow and helping someone repent. Because, man, we, we're in the same boat. Like, we understand. I told you what Ben does for me and calling me out. It's a regular part of the process of our lives. And so, if you are taking that step, if you are being brave, if you are stepping out and saying, like, man, I want to help reestablish my brother. I want to help love them. I want to help push them towards the right area. Man, we want to partner with you. And so there is no limit to how far you should carry it because our God gives you the exact way to take it. Take it by yourself, then bring some friends if they still don't respond, and then bring it to us. We would love to be your advocate in that. And so that's when someone, when you see someone hurting someone else. And the last category is when someone hurts you, this is the big one. This is the one that's tough. And I want to highlight specifically verse 15 of what we just went over in Matthew 18, 15. And it says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The heart of when someone sins against you and you take it to them, is that you regain that person in your life. 
It's not to explain to them how bad they hurt you. It's not to tell them all the damage they caused to make them feel the weight of what they've done. But it's to push them back into a right relationship. Don't get me wrong. It means that they have to change, right? Like reconciliation doesn't happen if the person who continually hurts people isn't willing to change. Like that is when that process needs to keep escalating, needs to keep growing until they understand the weight of their issues. So what we're saying here is not to just tolerate them and do whatever you can to make them feel good, to bring them back into the circle. That's not it. Man, there, there are times when that hurt is really serious and it causes so much damage. And so the only healthy thing would be to call that person to change. And so your goal is not to get them in over their, your call for them to change. Right? I want to make that very clear. We're not saying just pat them on the back, do whatever it is to draw them back in. But if you have that heart, that humble, that gentle heart to come to them and say like, hey, do you realize you did this to me? And you share that with them, that heart, that hope that you have in sharing that with them should be to draw them back in. Because they may not know. Like they may have no idea what they're doing is wrong or hurting you. Right? Like you could be from two totally different contexts. And like for instance, my family grew up arguing was how we had conversation. Right? Like that was just what was around the dinner table. And walk into my marriage, and all of a sudden, my wife really does not like when I challenge her on everything that she says, because that's not how two people should relate to each other. Right? It's just not. And so she really lovingly said, like, hey, do you realize what you're doing here? Do you realize you're basically making me feel like our home is a courtroom? And I was like, I'm so sorry. So when you take it to that person, take it to them in a way where you're hoping to reestablish them, you're hoping to join, draw them back into a right relationship with that community that they hurt, but don't sacrifice that call to change. They need to grow because our call is to push people to stop hurting other people. Our call is for them to grow and look more like Jesus. And so hold that tension when you call them in. But say you've done all that, right? Like say you have followed this to a T, you have really wrestled in your heart, you have tried to really come to them, to present it before them, you have brought other friends with them, and say they haven't even apologized, right? Like say that they have done nothing, they haven't even apologized, they haven't admitted that they were wrong, they've been obstinate, they've committed the same sins or hurts that they did when they first hurt you. What do we do with that? Right? Like what do you do at that moment? Like how, how do you process? Like how do you move on? And that because it feels like there's a debt there, right? Like it feels like they have cost you so much and there's nothing that can make up for that, right? Like it feels, it feels unfair and it feels like that, I mean, they don't even deserve it. Like you've tried and they don't. And you're right, they don't, right? None of us do. But let me tell you the story of when the disciples asked Jesus that exact same question. And it's in Matthew 18, right after the passage we just talked about. It's verse 21. It says, Then Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, 
one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And just so you know, a talent is about 20 years wages. So I don't know what this guy was doing, but he owed 200,000 years of wages to the king. Really bad bets, whatever he was doing. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. Pause right there for a second. I don't know about you. There's nothing that I can do for the rest of my life, even if I sold both my kidneys, regrew some more, to make up for 200,000 years of wages. Right? Like the servant in the moment is just flat lying. There is nothing that he can do in this moment to make up that debt. He's making a promise he can never fulfill. But the master in this moment chooses to forgive him, chooses, knows in that moment, like, dude, there's no way you're going to pay off this debt. Like, there's no actual way you can do this. But I'm going to forgive you anyway. And so then what does the servant do? But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And that is about four months' wages, right? So 200,000 years' wages is what he owed, four months' wages. Still a significant amount, like still a lot of money, but drastically different. Who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I am the wicked servant in that story. We are the wicked servant in that story when we can't forgive. Right? Like that pain in our life is real. Like I'm not minimizing it. Whatever it is, whatever pain that we have had in our life, it's so real. But man, if you were in Christ, you have a God who literally took on every single sin that you ever committed. Because all of our sins are not just to the people that they hurt. They are ultimately and primarily to our God because he calls us to live righteously and he created everything in it. And so he took all of that offense and he not only forgave it, but he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for it. That in turn, he would give us his righteousness. So where God not only gave us, forgave us a debt that we could never pay, Right, like there's no getting out of that debt. There's no getting out of the sin, the massive cavern of sin that we have had in our lives. And instead of just taking that on, he gives us a righteousness that we can never achieve on our own as well. He says, I see you in the hurt that you've caused, the carnage, the pain, the selfishness, the envy. I see it. But what I'm going to do is because I love you so much, I'm going to take all that. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for it with my son, paying that entire punishment, taking all the wrath of God on the cross. 
and I'm going to give you this righteousness that you could never achieve on your own. And that's who our God is, right? Like that's who he is to see me in the midst of all of my brokenness, in the midst of all of my sin and all of the hurt that I've caused. It says, I love you. I'm going to pay for that. That is the way that I am able to then go to my brother and say, I understand what that's like. I understand making the wrong choice, but I've also been forgiven much. And so the only way that we are ever actually able to forgive from our heart, to, let, to more than just let go or more than just tolerate whatever's going on in someone's life, is to understand what our God did for us. Understand how much he paid on our behalf and how much his love drove him to the cross to pay for that and give us something we could never owe. That is the love that allows us to then go to our brother, go to our sister, regardless of what they've done, big or small, doesn't mean the pain's not there, but it gives us the ability to give them the chance to repent, to change, and grow because we know what our God did for us. We know that's who he is. That's the God that wants to know you, and that's the God that calls you home with his forgiveness each and every day. That's who he is, and that's how we forgive. Let me pray. Father, God, I don't know. I don't know the pain that's going on in this room. Um, I don't know what hurts have been caused or that we have caused, um, God, but I, I know you do. I know how good you are. I know um, just how much love you have for each and every person in this room. And God, I pray um, that for whatever burdens are out there in the crowd tonight, God, that we would see them in light of what you have done for us. God, whatever pains, whatever hurts, whatever sins um, that we have caused, God, I pray that everyone in this room would know just how much you have forgiven, just how much that you have, the lengths you have gone to to show us your love for us and that you forgave us. And God, would we see the hurt that has been in our life in light of what you have done for us? God, would we know just how far your forgiveness goes so that no matter the pain that comes up in our life, we are able to forgive others because we know just how far you went. And so God, I pray uh, that as we have time, as we have the opportunity, God, I pray that you would put it on our hearts to know who we need to apologize to, who we need to take it to, who we need to ask for forgiveness from. And God, I pray that you would already be working in their hearts to freely give forgiveness the way you did. And ultimately, God, I pray that we would walk out of this room without a shadow of a doubt, knowing just how much you loved us. Not minimizing our own sin, not minimizing how much hurt, how much pain we've caused in the process, but knowing that no matter how much it was, your love is that much greater Your love is that much better because that is who you are. God, you are the God who heals all hurts. You're the ones who binds up all wounds. And God, you are the one who restores even the most hopeless situations. So God, I pray that as we worship, as we sing, as we go about our lives, God, we would do it with the knowledge of how good you are, of how much you love us, and God, how much you have forgiven from us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work He wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.